Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Everybody, welcome back to the Real Food Real Conversations podcast. I am so happy, excited, honored that you're here listening again today. This is episode 43, and I'm super really excited about talking about this topic um, we're talking about today because I think there's a lot of confusion. I think it's a new-ish type topic, and I really want to spread the word um, about it. And today's guest is Taylor, and she is a legit expert. And I recently found Taylor and immediately fell in love with all that she represents. Um, Taylor, do you want to tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you um, focus on? Sure. Hello. I'm excited to be here too. And thanks for having me on. And this stuff is is really great to chat about. So I appreciate the opportunity. Um, of course. Yeah. Um, so my name is Taylor Wolfram. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a registered dietitian in Chicago. I'm in private practice. So that means I own my own business and I see one-on-one clients for nutrition counseling. Um, I also do some consulting, speaking, writing, lots of other fun stuff. Um, but what I specialize is both in vegan nutrition as well as um, anti-diet healthcare and intuitive eating and everything that comes with that, like disordered eating, recovery, body image, lots of really fun, important stuff. Which is so fun and important and just so prevalent right now. I think I I see kind of like this, um, almost like a a blowing up. I don't want to say trending because I don't like that word when it comes to these kinds of things, but uh, just more of an awareness, I guess, of these kinds of things. And um, I'm really especially interested in your aspect of the anti-diet vegan nutrition, because when I started this, back then it was just a blog of mine, um, back in 2013, we, re- we switched our diet to mostly plant-based. We are not vegan. Um, we eat mostly plant-based. Um, due to my husband's health, he had some health issues and his cardiologist suggested we tackle these health issues through dietary changes versus medication and such. And it quickly became something we started doing because within three months, he completely um, reversed his heart issues. Like they went away completely. And it was such an amazing thing. And we realized how powerful food was, but it turned kind of into this business of mine. Um, But when I entered the online space, I really felt like it was such a all encompassing black or white, do it this way attitude. And it kind of was a shock to me that it was so, I don't know, just this one way of doing things and you had to be this, follow this plan or you weren't doing it right. Yeah. Are you referring specifically to like the health focus plant-based diet? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And it it just felt overwhelming and bullying and very much like, like I can see why people didn't want to do it. And because I've never been a diet person. I've never, um, like I didn't grow up with a, a parental figure that dieted a lot. I mean, my mom was always healthy in the sense that she made a lot of like home cooked meals. I'm, my parents are Greek immigrants and I was, 
the kid like you see in the movie that never had the like Twinkies or whatever. I had like the home cooked <laughs> Greek stuff. Um, so I didn't really have that diet. I never have really had that diet mentality. And to get into this online space that was very diet mentality um, was a little bit of a shock to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone in feeling that way. It's it's very prevalent, unfortunately, not just in the plant-based space. Yes. Um, you know, it's all over, of course, but but definitely there's kind of like a special version of it for the the plant-based diet. Yes, for sure. Um, so you specialize in anti-diet. And I this is a word that I have always felt, but I didn't know what it was called until I wouldn't say recently, recently, but semi-recently. And when I heard this word anti-diet, I was like, oh, yeah, that that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> I just didn't know what it was called. Um, can you explain to people really what does anti-diet mean? Sure, yeah. And I think it can be confusing to, you know, especially for like a self-described anti-diet dietitian. It's like, well, wait, isn't diet in the word dietitian? And you know, what is, what does that mean? Um, so really what it means is resisting diet culture, which is what you would typically think of with dieting, right? Going on a diet, counting calories, counting carbs, restricting portions, you know, lots of different forms of it, including, you know, the demonization of certain foods, as well as this belief or assumption that, people's body sizes are what determines their health, right? And assuming that all thin people are healthy and all larger people are unhealthy, um, as well as the discrimination of larger people in particular. Um, And also, you know, there's this acknowledgement in the movement, and I feel like this really needs to be talked about more, that the roots of diet culture are really white supremacy and patriarchy and that resisting those things is what is also involved in resisting diet culture. So there's a lot to it, but um, simply meaning resisting diet culture, um, you know, the need to intentionally pursue weight loss or restrict certain foods in order to be healthy, whatever healthy means to you. Right. So it's like one look for all, like, this is how everyone should be looking. It doesn't matter if you are meant to look this way, but you should strive to look this way and by whatever means necessary is kind of like what I see a lot of what originally, and I've, I guess I've curated my feed a little bit differently now with who I follow and what I want to follow. But originally that's what it felt like to me. Like there's one, there's, you know, one play, the one way you should look, it's really the top, like you said, Talfa and white, white women. Yeah. Right. And people without disabilities, people without yep. diseases, and also not just based on the look or appearance, um, you know, cause there's definitely people saying, oh, I'm just eating this way for my health who are actually really disordered. Um, so just looking at the big picture of, is there any, you know, this unnecessary restriction, misguided beliefs about food and health. Um, I come across a lot of that in my work with my one-on-one clients. Well, yeah, because wellness, and this is something I've, I've, I've always kind of believed in recently, just really, really, and strongly starting to want to share more with my audience is that, you know, wellness is, is not about just what you're eating. It's a lot of it has to do with your mental health. And if you can eat all the 
plants you want. But if, like you said, if you're eating this way, if you're choosing to do that in a disordered way, like you're actually not being healthy because your mental health is what needs to also get some support because it's your choices aren't done for the right reasons, I guess you can say. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think too, when a lot of people think of what does healthy look like or what is healthy food, they think purely of physical health and they don't necessarily include mental health or think of the stress or anxiety or shame and guilt that might come along with trying to force yourself into eating a certain way. Yes. And that's kind of a big thing. And um, where I've kind of created my own kind of space and niche within the plant-based world um, for people like me, because like we, I've got anxiety. Um, that is just who I am. Um, and when we started our journey before I took it to an online space, like it wasn't very, it wasn't filled with pressure. It wasn't filled with, you know, this need of having to be all or nothing. Um, and then when I took it to the online space, that surrounding suffocating feeling of having to do it this certain way was really overwhelming for me. And I tried to fit myself into that space for a really long time until I met my um, uh, business coach who really helped me uncover who I was in that I I am not 100% plant-based because that just doesn't fit for me and my mental health. Um, I need to have that gray and I need to listen to what works for me and my body. And so many people have come to me and, and told me like, wow, like, I didn't know I could do it like this. And I'm, and it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I so appreciate folks like you, um, you know, me personally, I'm an ethical vegan, so I don't consume any animal products for ethical reasons, but for folks who say they're eliminating every single thing that comes from an animal for health reasons, that really makes me curious because you don't need to eliminate animal foods for health. And like, like you are saying, like, you know, I feel best. I feel healthiest when I'm eating mostly plant foods, but that doesn't have to mean it's like all or nothing. Right. And well, and especially for people that have anxiety, like for me, I like to go out to dinner for the mental health benefits, like of relaxing, enjoying time with my husband, my friends, and not really stressing about what I'm eating because I'm focusing on my mental health at that moment. And I, there's things I personally, my diet journey has changed a lot um, because I went into early menopause in my early forties. I'm only, I'm turning 44 in July, so I'm not super old, but I'm also not super young, (laughs) Um, but I did hit menopause early. um, And throughout that, my body changed and I can no longer um, consume gluten. It, my body cannot handle it. And so when I go out, the only thing I do worry about is gluten. And even that in and of itself is stressful. And so I don't, I choose not to worry about anything else because it's enough where my husband, he cannot consume meat because of his health issues. So, you know, it's like, Yes, uh, there are things that we're each different and we can't consume, but we do it for health reasons and mental health. As I went through early menopause was a real big part of my, um, my, my journey. And I learned a lot about that, um, which brought me back to the anti-diet thing of, like you just said, you work with clients that the mental health piece, you always, you know, you question that, um, 
what are some tips to you? Like when you work with someone, I've always been curious as far as a dietitian goes, like what are some red flags when it comes to a client that you are more into like looking at the mental health piece behind choices? Yeah. Um, people come to me specifically for the work that I do. So most folks that I work with have some level of disordered eating, may have spent many years dieting, yo-yo dieting, their weight is all over the place. And so a lot of folks really don't know how to trust their bodies and eat what feels good and eat what they like because they're so used to following a certain set of rules or approaching food through like a budget mentality. Like they can only have so many calories or so many points or so many carbs or something like that. Um, and so a lot of folks that I work with have a lot of food rules that they've built up over the years um, from things that they've heard, um, that they've read, and even things that, you know, their healthcare providers have told them like this stuff isn't just coming from diet books, right? Like there right. are physicians out there saying this stuff. There are health organizations out there, you know, really promoting things that may be well-intentioned, but are actually really harmful to people and really driving disordered thoughts and behaviors around food. Um, so any sort of restriction um, because they think the food is bad or the food is going to hurt them or the food is going to make them gain weight. Um, also, any sort of compensatory behaviors, I, I call it earn and burn in, towards, um, in terms of how people may relate their food and their exercise, feeling like they need to earn food by exercising first or they have to burn food by exercising after they eat. Um, which really a lot of this comes down to a fear of fatness or okay. a fear of um, like deadly disease. And there unfortunately is a lot of sensational claims around that specifically in the plant-based movement, even around certain foods like oil. That I was are, just going to yeah. say that you took the <laughs> words right out of my mouth, the like oil free movement. Yeah, right. Um that really are just driving disorder patterns that don't have a ton of strong research behind them <laughs> um, to recommend that people are restricting in such a way. So I know there's a long-winded answer. There's a lot. Um, there's a lot. And it, and it makes sense because we are all growing up in this culture together. You know, this is how yeah. we're socialized. This is how we're conditioned. Even when we're younger, when we hear adults talking about their bodies or about the way that they eat, or maybe we ourselves are told we shouldn't be eating something or we, sh you know, need to lose some weight or something like that. Like all these little seeds are planted over time yeah. and they really just grow and grow and grow. And a lot of folks are just finding themselves very confused because they've tried lots of different diets and nothing works, right? That yeah, well, dieting is a scam. That's the whole thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, but also just so terrified and feeling like they can't trust their bodies. Well, and that's interesting because so I, as I said, I didn't like, yeah, my mom, like she, into this day, like she still like, she, she likes the Weight Watchers idea because for her, it like, she doesn't do Weight Watchers, but she has like the concepts of like, I guess in the well, like the more like well-rounded, like she's, it helps her be aware of like what she's eaten, you know, at her age, you know, she says she eats and my, it, or my dad eats and she gains weight. Like that's her thing. Cause my dad is like real thin. Like he's like a garbage disposal. He could eat anything and everything. And my mom's like, I don't understand. Like 
I'm like eating so healthy and he'll eat whatever he wants. And like, I'm packing on the pounds. How is this even possible? Yeah. <laughs> and right. it's so funny. And that's another one of those red flags too, is where folks compare themselves to others in terms of what other people are eating, what other people's bodies are doing yeah, instead totally. of focusing internally. And again, that's what we're conditioned to do. So it's totally understandable. Well, and it's interesting because like, I don't remember, you know, growing up and having, my mom was never a role model of like diets and whatever. Um, but in the Greek culture, there's a lot of talk about physical appearance. It's like a Greek thing. So I have, um, I had an aunt who has passed away now, but she was, every time I saw her, the first thing she'd say to me is, do I look like I've lost weight? I've lost weight. Haven't I? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it was this funny thing. Like, and we, we loved her. She was like silly and like everything was appearance, but I do remember growing up. I'm, I'm small. I'm petite. I'm about five feet tall. Um, five one on a good day. And I think like I, my average weight's about hundred pounds my whole life. Like I've bounced between 95 and 105, um, depending on ironically enough, when I work out, when I used to work out like a ton, like I would weigh more actually, um, than when I didn't. And of course not counting when I was pregnant. Um, but I'm a small person. My sister is like five, six taller. And growing up, I was always told that I was the one with the Greek butt. And my sister was the one with the nice long legs. And that story has stuck to me my entire life because if you ask me right now what I most like, what I like best about my body, what I like least about my body, the least one is my butt and my legs. It's like a hundred percent, like it's not even a question. Um, and I've always had a flat stomach always. And I've always been told, well, you have the flat stomach and your sister, you know, does it like it was it's just crazy that I can't tell you when I was told these things. I just know that it is in my subconscious. And we know that most of our everyday thoughts and movements are, you know, based on our subconscious, which is based on the stories that we have grown up with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it and, really sticks with you. Yeah, totally. And so it's interesting because when I exercise now, I like, I, I mean, I'm also really strong in my legs because I played soccer or whatever, but lower body was always what I went towards when it came to working out. Um, now I do a ton of yoga and things like that. But as I grew up and exercised, I, I mean, I've always been into movement and stuff like that. But it's just interesting how, um, you know, what we're told, like you said, by family, social media, the outside influences, how deep rooted it can be. Yeah, right. And I like to start, at least when I first, I'm first starting to work with someone is really getting to know their history and their story and their kind of like their body image timeline. Um, and for most people, you know, we talk about when they first remember becoming aware of their body or thinking that they need to change their body or they need to fit in or something like that. And it is very, very young. And when we talk about, you know, when did you first learn that fat was bad and skinny was good? And where did that come from? Most people can't even pinpoint it because that's, it's just like this constant, like that, well, that's just how it is. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, I don't remember anyone necessarily telling me some people do, um, you know, or they heard other people making fun of folks, et cetera. But for a lot of people, it's just like, I don't know. I just believe that. And then all of a sudden, when I was four years old in my leotard, I noticed my belly stuck out more than the next girls. And it's just so sad. 
And, you know, we have to do so much work to unlearn that and to really heal from the damage of that. Yeah. Well, and then you have the opportunity out there for, um, um, like, it's almost like a platter of diets that they're serving and you go and you're like, okay, well, like, I personally don't believe in Veganuary, that whole movement of being of the veganism in January, because it, to me, it symbolizes the whole, oh, it's January, it's time to change. And while I do believe in, you know, having goals and, and changing and, and it when you want to, and it's, you know, warranted because for good reasons or whatever, I don't believe that that just should happen and, and be promoted in January, I do believe that it can be, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's something that can be done constantly. So I see this influx of traffic to my site and all this stuff in January. And I'm like, how many of these people are doing this for, like you said, these outside reasons and how many people really truly do want to better themselves? It, it's always been, I don't know. I've always been very um, torn by that whole thing. Yeah. Right. And for a lot of people, they do see losing weight as bettering themselves, especially people who are in larger bodies or fat bodies. And I guess I should have said earlier when I first used the term fat that I use it as a neutral descriptor. And there's been a movement among fat folks to reclaim the term in a neutral or positive way, kind of like queer folks have reclaimed the term queer. Um, So I wanted to put that out there in case some folks are like, wait, you you're saying fat. Yes. Well, that's (laughs) such a yeah. yeah, that's such a good point. Because it's like, well, if you, yes, that's such a good point. Because like, it's like saying fat, like, well, it's a descriptor. But why is it a bad descriptor? Right? Yeah, yeah, right. So I just I really wanted to validate how people, especially fat people, really do feel the pressure to lose weight, because they are treated poorly because of their size. Um, they may not you know, have as many opportunities, it's still legal to discriminate based on fatness. (laughs) And I think almost every single state in the US, it's not a protected, you know, identity, you you can get fired for being fat. A lot of people, you know, can't fit on airline seats or, you know, roller coasters and, and do all these things, you know, so some people may really believe like life would just be easier for me, if I lost weight, without necessarily realizing the harms that come along with that, which is really tough to, you know, try to, you know, sit through that discomfort of living in a world that wasn't made for you. And that is kind of actively oppressing you. Now, that leads me to a really good question. Like, what about people that um, do need to lose weight for health reasons, or it's not because, you know, they want to or want to look a certain way, but there are moments. And there are people that, you know, okay, we do need to lose some weight because this is not the body that you actually are, like it's, there is an issue. Is there room in the anti-diet world to lose weight for healthy reasons in a healthy way? Yeah, I, I really challenge what you said. And I understand where you're coming from, because that is a common belief, like, people kind of put this cap on anti-diet or intuitive eating. They're like, well, unless you're X amount of pounds, then that means you're unhealthy and then you really should lose weight. And that's really not how it works. Pursuing intentional weight loss for anyone, no matter their size, is more likely to cause weight 
regain and weight gain in the long term than sustainable weight loss. So right there, we don't have an evidence-based way to help people lose weight and keep it off and in a safe way. We, we don't have that research. Most of the research on weight loss is not long-term follow-up whatsoever. And the studies that do follow up show that most people regain all the weight back and then are also experiencing both physical and mental health issues as a result of what they went through. And it really does, you know, just take a toll on the system. So I really challenge the idea that someone, well, what about, you know, X number of pounds? I don't like to use numbers. They, they're not healthy. They need to lose weight. And so first I like to point out, we don't have a safe and guaranteed way to help anybody lose weight. And we know that trying to, actively causes harm and people can pursue health promoting behaviors without trying to lose weight. And I guess another thing I'll say about this too, for most people who are very large, dieting was a part of their history. And that yo-yo dieting over time is what slowly pushes up weight and someone's weight set point, which I'm happy to talk about if you'd like. I wonder if that's what you meant when you said that's not what their body's supposed to be. Um, but the, the yes. whole atmosphere of, you know, that's not what you're supposed to be, or you're too big, or you're not healthy. Like that just breeds this environment of shame. And that is the opposite of what motivates people to engage in sustainable, self-compassionate health promoting behaviors. Yes, that's what I meant. Their weight set point is exactly what I meant. And um, I do, that's, I love that you talked about the evidence of losing weight and what is out there. Cause I do know that dieting actually can really mess up your body and the natural rhythms that your body goes through and has um, because you're using an outside source versus your internal source. But I would love to hear more about um, like what you said. And I guess it's more of like, and I, I do agree with you about the health promoting behaviors versus the goal of losing weight. It's more like shifting your goal. And like, for example, my husband had that had his heart issues. Um, he's not a large guy. He never has been a large guy. He's six, four, he's very tall. So um, he, as he got older, you know, he would joke around like, Oh, I'm gaining weight in the middle. I guess I'm getting older, whatever. Um, wasn't a big deal. But when he changed his diet for his heart health, at the same time, he actually lost 20 pounds and people actually commented on that. And you'd think, like you said, like people comment on like the other side, but people actually made fun of him and were like, dude, you look like a, um, they would, I, I heard this out of somebody's mouth. You look like a cancer patient. Why are you so skinny? He wasn't trying to lose weight. He was trying to help his heart health because he had extremely high blood pressure, extremely high cholesterol, and he was very unhealthy. And in the meantime, I mean, the weight came off, but it just did like, it wasn't something. So it was just interesting to see that focus on the weight versus the fact that he was off all of his medication that he's been on his entire adult life. He had the best cholesterol and heart um, blood pressure that he had ever had. His doctor was so excited, but none of that was ever celebrated. Yeah. And honestly, commenting on anyone's size for any reason is 
always inappropriate and can be causing harm, especially when we're praising people for losing weight. What we're really saying is you look better than you did before. And that makes people feel really bad. And most people who lose weight, again, regain that weight. And then they're thinking, wow, I'm, I'm looking a way that people thought was bad. And it, again, it just breeds this shame. Um, and so I think praising people for weight, first of all, we never know what the reason is, right? It could be eating disorder. It could be a chronic disease or illness, et cetera. Um, yeah. Even, you know, the worrisome comments, it sounds like that you're husband got, you know, I'm sure yeah. that didn't feel very good, but like you said, no. people tend to focus on the weight, not necessarily what are the legitimate markers of health. Right. Right. Um, so about weight set point, it's actually a range weight set range. Um, is I, I refer to it as happy, healthy weight, meaning your weight at is your happy, healthy weight or your weight set range is the weight your body lands at when you are eating in a way and taking care of yourself in a way that feels really compassionate, nourishing, gentle, without any restriction, judgment, anything like that. Um, So an approach that kind of goes along with that philosophy is called intuitive eating. And there's no guarantee of what's going to happen to your weight if you practice intuitive eating there's three things that could happen. It could go up, it could go down, or it could stay the same. And having any sort of, you know, hope or intention or promise that intuitive eating is going to make someone lose weight always backfires. And it makes people feel like they're doing it wrong if they don't lose weight or they must be missing something um, or they're unintentionally turning it into a diet. I have a, a client recently actually who was using it as a diet and it was triggering some really problematic behaviors for her. And we kind of under under covered what was going on, but if there's even that hope or desire, Ooh, I hope this makes me lose weight. Maybe this is what I've been missing all this time that can really backfire. So really trying to practice, you know, not seeking out weight as an indicator of success or health or happiness is really important to make this kind of practice work. Yep. That makes sense. So kind of like what we were, I had asked before that it should, the weight isn't the goal. The goal is the, the ultimate wellness and that the healthy, the healthy habits like lifestyle habits versus the weight itself. Right. And trying to remain neutral, right? If the weight goes down rather than celebrating that, just say, Oh, interesting. Okay. Or if the weight goes up rather than freaking out, you know, okay, interesting. And just trying to stay curious and neutral throughout the whole process, which I know is so much easier said than done. No, totally. Because of what we said, we're surrounded by it have been forever. Um, And that's kind of, I mean, that is when I was going through my menopause, um, issues and my anxiety was like at its peak, I was having anxiety attacks, like all the time. I actually unintentionally, and I actually didn't even realize it, to be honest. Um, I lost a ton of weight and the, the day I realized it was when I was at my son's preschool and we had a mother's day tea and they took a picture of me with him. And I looked at that picture and they sent it to me. And I was like, holy crap. Like I look really thin and I was so out of touch with my body that 
my, you know, anxiety and menopause, all the symptoms that came with it really ran my life that I didn't realize I, and I, I looked at the scale and I finally was like, I need to go to a doctor. Like this is not normal. And when I went to the doctor and I put a step on the scale, my doctor like freaked out. She was like, you have lost like, and I'm a small person. And I was in like the low nineties and high, like that range. And that's like insane. Like I was like, whoa. And I still remember that I took him to swim lessons and the swim teacher was like, what have you been doing? Have you lost weight? You look fabulous. And inside I was at my lowest point for a lot that I'd been on a long time. Like mm-hmm. I was miserable, like miserable. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't look fabulous. I look like hell, you know, <laughs> like right. I really do. And I just, I was, it just, it's so interesting that that dynamic of, and I guarantee that when she saw me, when I got healthy again and went back to my normal, like you said, range, um, I'm sure she saw me and in her own mind said, oh gosh, she's gained weight. But I didn't really care because I knew that I was at such a healthier point, like mentally. But mm-hmm. it's just so much focus on that. Yep, absolutely. People think they're paying you a compliment and don't really understand that it can be harmful. Yeah, I mean, and and I like didn't, it wasn't harmful in the sense to me like, oh, I should stay this way. But it, it really brought more attention to me realizing like how sick I really was and how much I did need to like, I tried to deal with it on my own for so long, the whole menopause thing. Cause I was like, I'm strong. I can do this. And it really just made me really drive home that I need to go and get some meds, do something because this is not, this is not good <laughs> like at all. Yeah. Um, but so as far as intuitive eating, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Cause that's something kind of, um, I am super interested in especially as far as like plant-based type stuff. And I have, I've, I've talked a little bit about that on some other podcast episodes and also there's like on my platform and I visualize, um, intuitive eating to me is visualized as, um, when you, when you have, when you pay attention to what the outside is telling you how to eat and what to do, the channel between like your intuition, that channel is like almost like a pipe and it's clogged with all this information and you lose touch with who you, what is inside and what's telling you. Cause you know, water can't go through these pipes, you know, and, and help that the systems, you know, go. And when you, you need to almost like get help to even knowing how to listen to yourself again, because you've paid attention to the outside so much that you've lost that touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's true for a lot of people. Definitely. And that's why like, there's this movement with intuitive eating and I, I like it, but then I think to myself, so many people don't even know what that is, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of people who misunderstand it as well. So what would your, like what is from a you know clinical perspective, what is intuitive eating? Yeah. So intuitive eating is a specific framework that was created by two registered dietitians in 1995. Um, It now has more than 125 research studies on it. So it's not 
something that's up to interpretation. Like this is a very specific yeah. thing and there are people on the internet who are interpreting it in their own way and it's a hot mess. Um, so what, what they describe it as like a very quick summary is the dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought to help you, you know, make decisions around food. So those are the internal kind of information sources to help you make decisions around food rather than the external sources like, you know, diet books, social media influencers, whatever. Um, so a lot of people think it's just instinct, like, oh, just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, and it's not, there's also the emotional component and like the rational brain component. So it's really using all three parts of our brains. Um, so this was, like I said, it was created in 1995 by two white, thin dietitians. So there are limitations there, um, but it has 10 specific principles. There's a book. It's now on its fourth edition. There's also a workbook for it as well as a workbook for teens um, by, by the same people. Um, and it really goes through these different principles um, and how to apply them. Um, and it's, it's really powerful. And I think, you know, a lot of people can get a lot out of just reading the book and doing the workbook. And I'd say a lot of other people also kind of need to work with a professional to really fully understand it and practice it and work through a lot of their own personal like challenges and nuances with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll stop there <laughs> before I keep going. Is that helpful? Yeah, no, totally. Um, no, I just like the general idea. Like it's like how you're talking about it's instinct, emotion, and thought, like all three of those things come into play when it comes to when you make decisions on what you're eating. Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. And the cool thing is now that we do have a good amount of research on it is that we see how beneficial it is because um, a lot of people fear, oh, if you eat that way or if you don't follow rules or watch your portions, et cetera, then you're going to gain a bunch of weight or your cholesterol is going to go up or you're going to get diabetes. And that's not at all what the research shows. It actually shows improved physical health markers as well as mental health markers and decreased rates of disordered eating and body dis satisfaction, which mm -hmm. it's really, really powerful. Well, and it's, it's, um, it, this isn't like exactly it, but it's, it reminds me of like, so I've got three boys, right. And growing boys, active boys, and, you know, I'll make dinner and I'm a pretty, um, when I make dinner, I, I, I make one meal for my entire family and I, I'm not a restaurant. I don't cook for everyone's needs. And we talk a lot about how, you know, we each get to choose something of the for the week, when we make a plan for the week, we each get to choose something of what we want to see, but we're a family of five, like not every meal is going to be your favorite meal. It's just, this is life, you know, like it is what it is, but I always make sure that there's something I know everyone likes. Um, and my oldest son, he will eat anything and everything. And he, he is a growing boy. He eats a lot. So I also am trying to teach him like what you said, that instinct and that inner, like feeling of like fullness. And we know that if we like, he eats really fast and sometimes like he eats one helping, two helpings. I'll be like, okay, Hey, why don't we drink some water, take a breather, sit there for like 10 minutes. If you're still hungry, serve yourself some more, but sometimes you need to like, get your, you know, you need to like sit there with it before you like overeat. And then you're like, Oh my God, I'm so full. You didn't 
you know, you need to listen to what your body is telling you. Um, cause he, some of the times he just shovels food in so he can go back and play, you know? So I'm trying to help my kids to understand like that, how, like the actual science behind how it all works. Like, you know, that actual, um, body systems thing. Yeah. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And it's so interesting talking about kids, like thinking about babies and little ones, cause we're pretty much all born intuitive eaters. We're just kind of trained out of it by diet mm-hmm. cultures, but it's so fascinating. You know, babies are very aware when they're hungry and they cry and when they've yep. had enough, you know, they're done. They yep. unlatch or they spit out the bottle or they turn their head and, and the same with little ones, you know, working on salads for the first time too, they really want to play and, you know, they'll, they'll eat enough barring of course, any, you know, health conditions that may be preventing any of that. But for general healthy folks, like we are really born with these innate skills and um, watching little ones can be really powerful to kind of remember that. And I remember that when my kids were babies, like I remember one distinct time that I went to feed my little one something and I never bought baby food. I just, I grew up this way too. My mom did this, but I just, um, the babies ate like what we ate. We just like pureed it or just, you know, made it depending on their stage and what, how we, you know, what we were making, we just made it super soft and there was leftovers. I went to feed one of my, I forget who it was, but they refused to eat it. And I knew they were hungry because they were crying. And I was like, they took like a small bite and then wouldn't eat anymore. And I was like, wait a second, you're hungry. Like what? It turns out the food was bad. And it's amazing how intuitive like babies are, like they know. And something in me kind of, I don't know what happened. I tried it and I was like, oh God, this is awful. And it's like, you're right. Like babies no, like they have this intuition and they, they know what, what to do yet. We think because they don't talk or because they're babies that we shouldn't let them lead the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or that we have to control the situation or make sure they eat a certain portion. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's a big thing. And my husband actually grew up in a, a family of four kids and he struggles more with um, the notion of our kids having to eat and I have always just been like, if they're not hungry or if they don't want, like I, my little one, he's super picky. Like the little one will, he's just, he's, he's an odd child. He doesn't like pasta, but will eat salad till the cows come home. Like it's, it's really funny for like a young child. Um, but he's gone to bed before without eating and he wakes up the next morning, like starving. And my husband have a hard time with that. And I'm like, why? He wakes up starving and I tell him, hmm, let's think about why you're so hungry right now. Did anything happen yesterday that perhaps, you know, happened that why you think you'd be hungry? And he's come to the conclusion. So I didn't eat dinner. I'm like, well, yeah, why didn't he, why didn't you eat dinner? Well, I wanted to go play and I just didn't feel like eating. I was like, huh, weird. And now you're really hungry. And it's like forcing, I mean, I just, I think that's a great lesson in my opinion, like they need to figure that out on their own. Like if you force them to eat they're you're not allowing them to listen to like, you know, to learn themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the whole forcing kids to eat has always been really frustrating for me. And when I see people do that, I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. 
you're, you know, you're just ruining their intuition of what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, as far as intuitive eating and anti-diet, like how do those go hand in hand? Yeah, good question. Um, so intuitive eating is just like this one very specific anti-diet framework to eating. Um, but you know, the anti-diet movement is much broader than that. Um, you know, it wasn't started by the people who, you know, put the name intuitive eating out there and developed the framework. It was really born out of the fat liberation movement and the ideas around that had been around for a long time. Um, but intuitive eating is just, you know, one approach to food specifically within the anti-diet movement. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just one way to be anti-diet. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so then what are, um, when we talk about veganism and how, you know, like what really caught my eye is your anti-diet approach to veganism. And a lot of people may look at that and say, well, but veganism has rules. Like how do you, how are you anti-diet within a diet? Right. Yeah. And I don't blame people for thinking that because unfortunately, veganism has been promoted in some ways by some people as a diet, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, which it really isn't, you know, it's, it's an ethical, you know, belief system that has a lot more to do with, you know, other things than, than just food. Food's a big part of it, of course, because of all the animals that are killed and exploited for food. Um, so the way I describe it is, you know, especially nowadays with all of the vegan versions of animal-based foods, like milks and burgers and cheese mm -hmm. and sausages and all of that stuff, like you can eat a very, you know, varied vegan eating plan and not feel restricted. The second the intention is for weight loss or for anything like that, of course, it's going to feel restrictive. Or if, you know, someone is restricting foods that are vegan, right? Like oil or like processed foods or like vegan meats, mm -hmm. you know, that definitely can feel restrictive. And that's, that's not veganism. Veganism is just, you know, resisting the commodification status of animals and boycotting the, you know, the animal agriculture industry and everything else. Um, so it's really not about human health or weight at all. Yes. And that is something that I discovered kind of early on, like there is food that's described as vegan food because it doesn't have animal products, but vegan is vegan in and of itself is actually just, it's, it's an actual lifestyle. It's, you don't include anything, you know, animal products from what you wear to how you eat to, to, you know, what you own, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's more than just the food. So it's really, I guess your course, your thing that being anti-diet vegan is really just trying to bring back that ideal then of it's not just a diet. It's, it, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I recently released a course called the anti-diet vegan nutrition course. And the whole part of that is for folks who want to learn about vegan nutrition, which everyone does who's vegan to make sure that they need, 
you know, they know how to meet their nutrient needs through mm-hmm. vegan food and beverages and dietary supplements that they can get that information without any of the diet culture, without any of the wacky claims or restrictive advice or weight loss talk. So it's really just a diet culture free space for people to learn about vegan nutrition. I love that. And it kind of, it's cause you're right. There's so much out there with what's, um, what's real and what's not. I mean, I have a private Facebook group um, and people ask these sorts of questions a lot. And I'm, my number one thing is I always say you need to actually see a licensed professional. You shouldn't be getting this information off of this group. Um, I'm always driving people back to that because you see people that drop these, these um, comments like they're the truth. And oh, you shouldn't be doing this, like the oil thing. Um, And I'm just like, I cringe so much. But the space for me, the reason I started this private Facebook group is to have actually a pressure-free group in sharing foods and the process of adding more plants into your diet without the the judgment and things like that, um, Mm -hmm. just because I felt there was so much out there. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you have this course because I will definitely share for people because there are people that want to know, like, what do I need as far as supplements go? Um, things like that. And um, it is really important if you are want to run a vegan lifestyle, or even if you just, it's not even the vegan lifestyle, if you want to be 100% food wise, just vegan, um, what you're missing, because it's, there's so much out there. I mean, I can't even people had asked me some, I forget what it was, but it was like, I started naming all the different types of diets that I've seen online from oil free to fully raw to raw until four or something like that. Mm -hmm. Something like you only eat raw until a certain time and then you can eat cooked foods um, to not eating until noon to it's, it's almost mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And how all this kind of I don't know. I don't even know how it all started. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's a lot. But this was so informative. Like I am so happy to have some actual um, real information from a licensed professional. Like, like I say about what each of these topics really truly mean. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with my audience and to share with me because I'm still learning at what all these things mean. I know that my overall idea of what I want to have in my space, in the plant-based space is more of an anti-diet type approach, a more of a grayscale type approach to adding plants into your diet and not restricting yourself. Um, you know, like just the language I'm working a lot on the language of food. You know, when people say like, Oh, I'm so bad. I ate this chocolate cake. And I, I'm really trying to help people understand that, like, that's not, bad like Mm -hmm. it's not I mean that word and like you like the word the clean eating word like that I have an episode about how that word really frustrates me because the opposite of clean is dirty and if my kids are eating goldfish and you're telling your kids that we only eat clean it makes my kids feel like they're dirty Mm -hmm. and um they're not (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah ultimately yeah there's Yeah, I think, you know, 
it's really helpful for people to hear that kind of stuff because some folks might say, oh, I'm not dieting or, oh, it's not diet culture because it's not like I'm not counting calories, but that kind of clean eating or any sort of like rules or restriction, like it's the same thing. No, it is. And even in the plant-based world, it is the same thing. And that's why I really want to encourage um, this grayscale and this continuum and this spectrum of plant-based eating, because I, I don't, you know, I, even myself, you know, with myself, you know, I, I've been struggling a lot the last two weeks. Cause I lost um, my cat who I've had for like 20 plus years of my life. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's been awful. So, um, but like, I literally all of last week, I just emotionally was so drained. I didn't do my normal workout routine. And usually I wake up in the morning early before the kids just to get my me time. And that's the time that I work out. Like I, depending on the day I might do yoga or, you know, my Peloton or whatever, but that's like kind of my personal space time. And it starts my day off in a positive note. And just all of last week, I was so emotionally drained and the thought of, you know, came back to me of like, I thought to myself, oh, I need to, I need to get up and work out. And then I would stop and I would say, to, I, I multiple times said to myself, why? I'm emotionally drained. I need to cuddle up on the couch, watch my TV that is like, you know, dumb TV that doesn't make my brain think and just allow my body to heal emotionally. And that was such a different place than I think when I was, you know, in my early twenties, when I, I don't know if I would have done that at that point, you know? So it's that idea of you have to do a certain thing where in fact, there are times that I want to sit on the couch and eat cookies because that's what feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to spread the word the best I can with um, my knowledge. And this has been wonderful. And I'm really happy that um, you could spend some time with us. Yeah, definitely. And I will link um, your course in the write up and everything. And I have your, um, your uh, intuitive eating freebie as well. And, um, and I just want to thank all of you listening. Thank you so much for being here and helping um, just educate yourself as to how we can better our wellness overall. And um, make sure to tune in next time. I actually have a guest who's going to be talking about kind of similar topic, just social media and body image and, and how we have kind of allowed just like our eating these outside, outside sources guide us to what, you know, what we should look like instead of um, what truly is ourselves. And um, yeah, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really helps me get amazing guests on for um, sharing information with all of you. But thanks again, Taylor. I really appreciate it. Thank you.